best, the worst of the TV season. This is Geek Confidential. Confidentials, part one of the best and worst of the TV season. My name is Luke Kerr. This is the best and worst podcast for the TV season that started in September and ended in May. That is the criteria for any of the nominees that are, or the picks that are made on today's show. Joining me is Melody Akles. Welcome, Mel. Hey, hey. Also joining me is Mo Walker. Well, welcome, Mo. Glad to be here, Luke, as always. And Dan Pierce. Welcome. How's it going? Pretty good. Um, every TV season, um, these categories are much like the ones that we have at the end of the year for the best and worst podcast for the calendar year, except for they span the from September to May, which makes it a little bit more interesting because then you have to go back and you have to be like, did this actually air in September or was it August or was it July, which is something that I came across when I was looking at a couple of the other, of the series for my nominations. Um, this year I removed a category. In theory, the podcast should be shorter. However, there's a twist. I've decided to add a category in, which is going to be a surprise for my co-hosts, which means that they get to work on it while we're talking. Uh, the Hold ca- the hell on. <laughs> Let me stop you right there. <laughs> you mean to tell me that after all these years, now that you have come up with a surprise category? I like this idea. I feel it makes uh-uh. for good podcasting. Oh, no. No, you did not run this by nobody. The, the cat like... He's taken the we make the rules up as we go along and has like upsold it. Well, it's like an upgrade. It's a new rule 2.0. Here is is the category. Here is this year's category. It is called This Sucks. This Really Sucks. The most disappointing show of the TV season. This is not the worst. Worst means bad. This is disappointing. That wasn't already a category? No. Come on. No. Okay. So, um. so you'll have some time to think about it. The best and worst ep- uh, things come towards the end. So this will be one of the later categories. So you've got some time to work on it. But diving in to the first category, the breakout star character of the TV season, Mel. Who did you pick? It was Agatha all along. Uh, y'all, for me, this category could not be anybody other than Miss Agatha Harkness, Catherine Hahn from WandaVision. I mean, that song was number one on the iTunes chart. And it's really good to see an actress like Catherine Hahn, who has been around for a very long time and who is always usually playing the supporting actress, which she still is in this role, get more shine and finally be recognized. And to really have that character stand out on a phenomenal show, which is in my opinion, and of WandaVision. It was really great to watch, really happy for her, but it couldn't be anybody other than Agatha. I was wondering if she was going to end up as the best sidekick on a show, but then I was like, well, there was a twist at the end of the season, so I don't know if she'd count as a sidekick. Mo, who did you pick for breakout star character? My pick is for 
breakout star is Omar C, for, who portrays Asan Diop, a.k.a. Arsene Lupin on the Netflix series Lupin. If you're not familiar with Omar C, he has been in a lot of genre movies over the years. He voiced Hot Rod in one of the Transformers movies. He played the, X, he played the X-Men Bishop in um, X-Men uh, Days of Future Past. He also was in Jurassic World. I think the show Lupin was a breakout show for Netflix, particularly for me. I just didn't know what to expect with this show. I was familiar with the anime, but he, Omar C, is such a charismatic character in this show as this gentleman thief who's trying to avenge his, his father's death. Okay. Dan, who did you pick? For me... I am picking Elizabeth Tulock as Lois Lane for Superman and Lois. I understand that she, you know, Has she was around, around during. No, I'm just saying she was around for some of the crossovers, but she wasn't given the necessary focus to really shine as much as possible. And now that she has her own show, she's really giving uh, just performance after performance after performance and really being uh, a true star of of the genre of the Arrowverse and stuff like that. Uh, we get to see her in so many different contexts, whether and she's fantastic in all of them, whether it's worrying about her sons, uh, thinking about Clark's role as Superman in the context of what the Earth needs, uh, you know solving mysteries and reporting on you know what's going on in smallville and stuff like that i mean it was it's been truly inspiring her performance has been awesome uh so yeah uh elizabeth tulak my pick for breakout star character is for the actress uh anya taylor joy from the queen's gambit i thought she was phenomenal in the series i thought that how she conveyed the insecurities, the addiction, the brilliance of that character was phenomenal. So she's my pick for breakout star character. Everyone needs a hero, or everyone needs a sidekick. Best sidekick. Mo, who did you pick? For me, best sidekick was Penance Adair, played by Anna Skelly on HBO's The Nevers. Now, I know The Nevers is a very controversial show just because of the background machinations. And also, because quite frankly... It's sort of boring? I wouldn't say it's boring. No, no, no. I would say there's so okay, many... It's very, it's, very, it's very slow. If it's not boring, it's very slow. I think, it, yeah, it, there are aspects of it that are very slow. Aspects? But... 99% of the thing is slow. Except no, for when no, you no, have no. an occasional fight scene. No, no, I, I see that there's enough steampunk, interesting steampunk stuff that certainly keeps me, uh, it appeals to me. But also, you know, we got that twist, which was like a WTF moment in that sixth episode. But I, I will argue that one of my issues with The Nevers is there are aspects of it that are boring that I don't really care about. It just needs to stay focused on the touched and one of the touched multiple adversaries but um penance there is really truly you know she em embodies the notion of a sidekick she is constantly building devices for the other members of the touched whether it's um a, a device that sort of amplifies sound there's a device uh 
that uh, she basically drove, uh, created like a, a small little motor car. She was coming up with all these cool things. She even got kidnapped at one point. Very much, with the de- in my opinion, the definition of a sidekick. Uh, so yeah, so I give it to Penance Adair from the Nevers. Dan? Uh, for me, I'm picking Jonathan Kent from Superman and Lois. I understand that he may not be the traditional uh, sidekick. However, so he does about one of the two children leads. Yes. Yes. The, the non superpowered one, the athlete. Okay. Yeah. So I understand like he's not necessarily a quote unquote hero per se, but he does provide a ton of support, whether it's for his brother, uh, who he's, really sacrificed so much of his own life to really provide like a, a sounding board, a lot of emotional support, standing up for him in school, whatever that might be. And as his power, as Jordan's powers were manifesting, Jonathan's there to cover and help and really be there as much as possible. But then he also hits John Henry irons with a truck and saves his dad, you know, he he's able he's multifaceted he's helping his mom with solving uh the whole mystery as it were almost getting himself killed in the process they really need to get that guy that kid a uh a superman beeper i don't understand why he is the only one in the family that doesn't have like the the little beeper that makes superman fly directly to him he's he's been in more situations where he's almost died this season than any one character I've seen in a very long time, but that's beside the point. He has been a great sidekick and yeah. So Jonathan Kent is my pick. Mel, who do you have? Uh, My pick comes from a brand new show. Uh, This is from Kung Fu, which is on CW. My pick is Eddie Liu. He is Nikki Shin's now boyfriend, and he was her sidekick throughout the entire season. He is our knowledge guru. He knows many, many things about ancient Chinese history and all of the little quirks that nobody else knew. He found it in a book, or he was there to drive her to her destination. He's there to kick butt when she needs it. He's there. Well, like, she isn't the main lead, and that's what she does all the time. Anyways, he's there to help her kick butt, rather. Uh, when she needs it, he's there to uh, back her up in all of her schemes. He was the absolute best sidekick of the season for me. And he's great eye candy. Um, this is true. My my um, best sidekick of the season is Captain Jack Harkness because Doctor Who is not the same without cameo appearances by Doctor Jack or Captain Jack, and he showed up in the Christmas episode as a big surprise. And I loved it. He was there. He provided a pivotal moment to the doctor. And we'll see what happens in the future. Biggest frack up. Dan, who is the biggest frack up of the TV season? My biggest frack up is the death death of Sarah Lance yet again. So for those that have been paying attention in Legends of Tomorrow, Sarah was kidnapped by some omnipotent alien who was making clones of himself that he could transfer his consciousness in between clones so he would never actually die. And as a result of the multiple poisonings that Sarah had to endure, she like went into a room and then like lifted a sheet and there was her body. And she realized she didn't have the, you know, the scars that 
we had custom like sort of seen her throughout the years, whether it was through arrow and her time with the league of assassins and all of this stuff. But like, there's something fundamentally, I, I understand it's happened before, but there's something fundamentally like it irks me about killing Sarah Lance. And now that now she's a clone and you know, it's, uh, it, it just, but not only is she a clone, she's an alien hybrid clone. Yes, she's also yeah. They also threw some alien uh, hybridness into her, causing her to be bulletproof now. So there's that. Uh, she is super healing. I don't. But I, we, but I don't understand how her being cap held captive ends up being the biggest frack up. I just like. I, I I think of it as a story frack up. Like we okay. we have known Sarah for years and years and years. You know, there's a certain amount of reverence that they do put behind Sarah Lance in the same way that they, you know, in the same way that they put behind John Diggle as he travels between shows and stuff like that. It it's just part of that original arrow core. So I don't oh, think that Sarah has had reverence since she joined Legends. There are moments when they revisit that reverence, but there's not enough people on the board right now who would appreciate that. Like, I mean, after Oliver's death, you could sort of see that like, oh, hey, there's no one here that understands or gets my pain and sadness. You'd think at that point when Ray was still on, it would be Ray. But alas, he's too he was too busy in hijinks whatever okay. but now i'm just saying i thought it was a major frack up uh mel who did you have um sabrina spellman comes to the table ma'am this is your time because the whole reason the eldritch terror showed up in the last part of the season and you have to battle all of these now supernatural beings and of course involve all of your friends and you had to create a clone of yourself to reign in hell and you do all of these things because you chase them behind some evil penis that's probably not even that good and you managed to get the other Sabrina killed and you almost killed yourself too and had to open Pandora's box. Girl, what are you doing? I was just not, I wasn't super impressed with the last eight episodes. I think that's how many there were it, of Sabrina, but just watching her consistently frack up the last part of the season, it was not my favorite. I was not amused. So, oh, congratulations, Sabrina. Mo? For me, my biggest frack up is Jacob Kane from Batwoman. I mean, he spent most of the season twiddling his thumbs while Crow's corruption ran rampant throughout Gotham. The Crows were setting up, harassing people, shooting people, people of color, poor people for no reason. I, I mean, he was very dismissive of Sophie, who was his number one. His number one, she brought the corruption to the forefront of him. He was just like, well, I don't know. I, he was too busy you know, trying to micromanage Mary's life. He then got hooked on snake bite, got tricked slash brainwashed by his therapist who turned out to be the Riddler's daughter. And then, of course, he brushed aside Alice when she was trying to tell him that Kate was actually alive on numerous occasions. I mean, honestly, 
if Jacob Kane had to bow out after this season, you know, he went out on top, you know, as the biggest frack up of them all. My biggest frack up is Baby Yoda for frog people genocide. What? Eating wait, all, wait, 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 what? Eating, e- eating, no. eating all those little babies that were being transported at like they were little candy. Baby Yoda is the biggest frack up for frog people genocide. Uh, most angsty or annoying character? Mel. So uh, my most angsty characters, not annoying, but angsty, are our two twins from Superman and Lois, Jonathan and Jordan. Whew, y'all. <laughs> I struggle sometimes with those two because I feel like they should have been named Pout and Sulk because that's all they do for half of this show is Pout and Sulk. Oh, I can't have this girl, Pout and Sulk. Oh, I got all these superpowers. Oh, I'm a Pout and Sulk about it. Oh, this girl tricked me. Mm, I'm a Pout and Sulk about it. It gets old. See, I feel like that's one of the two, but I don't think it's both of them. I think oh, it's the I'm, one with the I'm powers. For me, for me, it's the one with the powers. Like he is un like he is up there lot. with Jughead in terms of the angst. It, it it's painful. It can be painful, but I, I love his know. brother. I know they are teenagers. I get it. I understand, but come on, please, just give me a little bit of reprieve. Mo, who do you have? For most angsty and at times very annoying, I have uh, Hope Michelson from Legacies. Jesus, it was literally Landon, Landon, Landon. I mean, if as soon as as she got with Landon, he melted into a puddle of goo. And then she literally, crying, literally, and just crying her little eyes out. And then when she gets them back, it's not, you know, it's just, it's, she just is constantly just making stupid choices, whether it was just pushing people away, whether it was causing monsters to show up because in her quest, because Landon is, is everything. He is the sun, the moon, alpha and the omega. And I'm like, he's just, he, it's Landon. He's just like, He's kind of blah, in my opinion. One of the worst male young adult leads on the CW. Um, Dan? Uh, For me, Mel hit half of it on the head. I I agree. It's Jordan Kent for me. Oh, agree. Yeah. Every time he's on screen, he is always sulking. He never is... Even when he's happy, there's always like a twinge of like, well, this isn't going to last long, is it? I just, I don't understand why. I And I understand he's a teenager. I understand teenagers can be moody and he's dealing with these superpowers and they're in a new town and he doesn't know anybody. And like, that's a lot for a, a kid, but then also the superpowers. It, okay, fine. But there are better ways of going about this than sulking and pouting and having this will they won't they with Sarah and I I just I I can't deal with it. Dan, he's he's basically the Eeyore of, of oh, the Arrowverse. He really is. <laughs> he is. Uh, my most annoying character is plural, and it's not a tie, but it's plural. It's almost everyone on Legends of Tomorrow except for Sarah, Rory, and Constantine. Come on. 
the that cast there are too many of them they need to cut the cast so that there more time can be spent on individual character arcs and they all spend an inordinate amount of time just going around being annoying i feel like legends this last season or this current season because i guess technically it's still going but it aired as part of it started in what may and is still running or whatever it is just off its mark on almost every single front the only actual storyline that i enjoyed or i'm enjoying is Constantine's struggle but when you have alien hybrids when you have gary turning out to be a three-nippled alien i mean it just there's so much annoying shit about legends of tomorrow and the only reason why sarah and rory get the benefit of the doubt is because they're originals but like rory's storyline it's been pretty annoying too. And Sarah's, because of her partner, is extremely annoying, but I'm giving her the benefit of the doubt because like Sarah kicks ass in some of the I mean, it's almost like what Dan was mentioning about her being a frack up, her character being a frack up. I'm giving her the benefit of the doubt because of who this character is in the world of the DC universe or the Arrowverse. But she's also pretty annoying a lot of the times, and I don't want to say it. Legends has so many problems. But for me, most annoying characters is pretty much everybody on Legends of Tomorrow. Kick that ass, Mo. Who's the who had the best fight scene? So this one, I'm actually gonna go with a I have a tie for this one. Let the and... record show that I did not have a tie, was not the first person to use a tie on the podcast. Just let the record show. Well, I'm, and I'm going to preference, preference my tie. So um, my first tie comes from the Amazon series Invincible. And I'm talking specifically episode eight, and which Invincible is having this huge knockdown drag out fight with his, his father, uh, Omni-Man, uh, they get attacked by this huge sort of hentai monster, some weird creature that they have to battle. Then in the midst of, of that, other members of the uh, Guardians of the Globe show up. It's very bloody. It's very brutal. I think that throughout the show, Invincible, it has really good fight scenes. But again, I preface that because it's an animated series and it doesn't have the limitations of a live action series. So, um, now, switching to my live action series best fight scene, I've got to go with Superman versus, and I put this in air quotes, Captain Luthor in the Superman and Lois pilot. I thought that, you know, them fighting around the world, the globe, was just really phenomenal. I think that the show put a lot of its budget into the, the fight scene, certainly in the pilot. I think Really, truly, anytime Superman's in uh, a fight with, with someone, they look pretty good. But I have to say that that initial Captain Luthor Superman throwdown in the pilot was was just excellent. Dan, who do you have? 
So since I realized the dates are where they are, I have to uh, pivot from my actual choice. And I'm just going to say this. It is a fight from uh, the Falcon Winter Soldier. And I I just really enjoyed watching the Dormelage kick uh, U.S. Agent and Battlestar's butt. Like, this, this poser and his sidekick are just like completely outmatched and outwitted and outskilled against this incredibly talented uh, militia. And I'm just, it, it was so well done. I, I really appreciated it both from just a technical standpoint, but also uh, just the amount of humor and I, it was well needed. And especially when they, disassembled winter soldier's arm that was hilarious i i really appreciated that kick that ass mel who do you have well mine comes from invincible from amazon as well it's just a different fight than mo's i have omni man absolutely destroying and killing all of the guardians y'all my mouth was open the first time i watched omni man kill Every one of the guardians. And he almost he almost killed himself in the process, but just watch him dismantle all of them brutally. I mean suffering limbs, tearing them apart literally in half. It was insane. I I I am still kind of in shock about it. Like, wow. And 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 I know it's a cartoon. I know I understand that, but it, nobody, nobody was beating Omni-Man that day or any other the rest of the days. And that was the pilot. I think so, yeah. Yeah, it was the pilot. Because in the comics, that twist comes later. The reason why I know it's the pilot is because this that is specifically my pick for the next category. But first, I will re- reveal who I have for Kick That Ass. Ahsoka in The Mandalorian in the Jedi fight scene. Having the Jedi join the Mandalorian was a great element to add. Then you add this fan favorite character from the animated series as the character in the live action. And you have her dueling. But at the same time, outside of the courtyard, you have the Mandalorian in his own sort of duel, which is much more comical in some elements than her fight inside the courtyard. I loved it. I thought the cinematography was fantastic. I thought the fight scene was fantastic. I thought that the the way they put the stakes for each of the characters was really well done. So for me, that's my pick. Um, What just happened, Dan? All right. So I'm going to revisit a show we, we don't necessarily always talk about, but for some reason, I'm still watching. So in Riverdale... Oh, no. (laughs) Oh, no. Yes. Yes. Okay. I feel like I've been watching too many TikToks and reels or reels or TikToks on on Instagram reels because like the moment you said that this like the sound the song where oh no like where they basically go oh no oh no oh no hit my head as I was and I was like oh no this is going to be bad. Yes, and it is. 
So they did the flash forward. Uh, I think it's like five years and Veronica is married, at, but has decided to leave her cushy uh, sort of life where she's secretly a, a jeweler because her husband want like her husband doesn't support her career, so she decided to like do. He wants her to be a housewife. Exactly, uh, and now she's teaching at Riverdale, and Archie has become. Uh, he's running the RROTC at Riverdale, which is the ROTC, but they can't, you know, just for Riverdale's sake, it's RROTC. And Betty is now living in Riverdale investigating these disappearances of these women at truck stops, including Polly, who who has vanished. Uh, because, of course, she has. Uh but while everyone is in Riverdale, and also Betty is secretly, or not secretly, but also teaching, um, like, mechanics at, like, she's taking apart and putting together cars at Riverdale High as part of their mechanics class. Anyways, so the, Archie... The five-year jump is, was... Go ahead, sorry. I, I It was what? I'm sorry, I didn't hear you. No, I didn't say what it is, but... It, it was, I'm glad you brought this up is all I'll say. Okay. So Archie and Betty begin a friends with benefits relationship. And we all sort of saw that coming and that's fine. But then the minute that Veronica decides she wants to divorce her husband, who is a super jerk, uh, he immediately breaks it off with Betty and runs directly to her and they get back together. And I'm just like, no character progress. We're just doing this again. Well, technically friends with benefits are friends with benefits. There is no breaking it off. You're still friends. You just don't have the benefits. Right. No, I get that. I'm just saying like, I, I feel like they didn't, go there enough like it 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 was like two they, three episodes tops I, okay. I don't know would I, you have I, liked I to have seen more of a classic uh veronica betty archie triangle then is that what you're yeah. saying okay yeah i like it it felt like oh because veronica's free like it it felt like he wasn't valuing them as people and i'm like what what are we doing here what kind of to be I mean, fair, that's sort of the same thing as in the TV, the like the prior seasons. Though Archie and Betty didn't really ever have that much of a thing. It was always Archie and Veronica. I mean, for the the dominant portion of the seasons. No, no, I I agree. They teased it toward the end of the previous season, and that's why they picked it back up when after the time jump. Um, I I I thought I, I, th- I, I thought you when you said. When you said Riverdale, I thought two things. Either A, the five-year time jump, or B, making Riverdale not even a city. I thought that I'm, those were where you were headed with those, but I was wrong. I, um, there are other parts that could be like, um, what just happened? I mean, this whole alien subplot that Jughead's doing is... I, I have no idea what's going on. Well, ironically... Jughead investing, investigating aliens seems way more logical than half the shit that goes on on Legends of Tomorrow. Um, 
<laughs> My um, just what happened, I already mentioned it earlier, so I'm going to slip in here and just mention it, was the Invincible Pilot. The way that thing ended with him slaughtering all those heroes, I was like... So just as a preface, I'd never read the comic series. So for me, going into this, I was based on the trailers that I'd seen from Amazon... I was expecting more of like a non-DC or Marvel Justice League or Avengers, and it turned out to be a giant bloodbath worthy of Game of Thrones, and I was and the Red Wedding, and so I was like, I don't know what just happened here, but I don't know if I want to watch more of it because this was not what I was expecting. I've watched a couple other episodes, but I didn't finish it. And it was... There are things about that series. It's very well produced. It Like the action and everything is fantastic. But I I find myself going, uh, what just happened? And on more than one occasion, but the pilot was what really set it off for me. Mel, what did you have for this category? Let me set the scene for y'all. As we go back to Black Lightning, Jen is up, way up in the stratosphere, and whatever void she enters to get more power, and all of a sudden, oh no, she's taking on too much power, and now she's just particles. What are we going to do? How are we going to save her? We have to get Jen back somehow. Well, Black Lightning goes up there and gets all her particles somehow, some way. We don't know. He gets all the particles, he brings it back, and we have to go to Central City to get a special device from Cisco and Nim and Star, Star Lab so we can put Jen back together again. Okay. All right. Let's Let's do it. Let's go with it. Okay. We managed to get it. We did not see the Flash. We did not see anyone, which I was really sad about because there was a potential crossover that didn't happen anyways we get our tool we put jen back together again and when jen is back together again like humpty dumpty on the wall y'all it was it was a lot of things different about jen when she came back she was a different height and she had a whole different hairstyle let me tell you what she was a different damn person okay (laughs) i i don't so let me not to spoil anything but let me ask you did the explanation in the finale work for you okay i was gonna get there i was gonna get there so as we say oh this gin looks different but you know what we're gonna test all of her cells of her DNA and oh Gamby says there's nothing different. Well this is this is our gen now. This is her. And we're just gonna we're gonna go along with it. So what she looks different. We don't care. They didn't even give us a soap opera the role of Jennifer Pierce is not <laughs> get that okay they literally changed actresses and said no nah, we're not gonna give them an explanation. They gave us nothing. It was straight bullshit now in the very end on the final episode of the entire series they finally explain things as oh i was finally waiting to come and live your life type deal i had been up there the whole time blah 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 actual jennifer from the past the actress has returned she defeats her and now we're back Uh, I, i wasn't the biggest fan of that nonsense either but I really enjoy um, original Jennifer 
Shanann McLean. She is fantastic. She's been a great actress literally since she was a child. We watched her grow up. So, what was she on? Um, she's on Daddy's Girls, a bajillion Disney Channel shows. Uh, I know she was on a couple of Ty- Tyler Perry movies, Tyler Perry shows. So she is. Okay. She she always had great timing, even as a child. She had a great timing. Anyways, not the point. It, because I knew this was our last season and, you know, it was a final episode, I was like, okay, fine. I will accept it. I will allow it that we actually got the Jennifer that we know and love back. And that's how we ended the show. I appreciate that part. I'm not going to try and hate on that too much. But that whole nonsense of Black Lightning trying to sell me a brand new actress and not even giving me the courtesy the role of Jennifer Pierce will be played by someone else is a garbage Mo, who do you have? I thought about leaning into a tale of two Jennifers, but I think Mail summed it up very nicely. I'm not going to do a tie. I use my tie card, so I'm going to avoid that. I'm My pick of, pick of um, what just happened will go to Jupiter's Legacy on Netflix. Specifically, when I got to the last episode, episode eight, I feel like I <laughs> will the entire one, the entire season slash series wasted its shot its wad so to speak on an origin story (laughs) bad wigs and quite frankly a heel turn that anyone could have seen coming you didn't need to have read the comics it was just it was an absolute waste of time um do you know how much I wanted to like that show? Josh Duhamel has been one of my favorite actors since he was Leo Dupree on All My Children. I wanted to like it, but the wigs were bad. I love Leslie Bibb from Popular back in the day in the CW. Mm-hmm. I loved her in that. Like I wanted to love this show so much. Matt Lattner, he, I believe he was on... Uh, let me see. Timeless! Timeless, yes, yeah. He was on Timeless. Yeah, Wyatt. I mean, there's so many actors on this show that I wanted to like. And I liked the portion of it where they were going to the island. When they were on the island and you were dealing with that portion of it, I enjoyed it. But yeah. everything on either side of it was like what the world and then you get to this this the climax which mo is alluding to and you're like I'll just you, mean, you mean to just you mean to fucking tell me i wasted this entire season for this yeah uh, quite yeah it, look it was it, it was just it was really uh what just happened i mean well and and personally i think that they could have just have taken the origin, drilled it down, you know, cut it down into like maybe like two episodes. I like the island stuff. We just needed to get that and move on. Or the show really should have been an, an the entire show origin. Been the, af- the, the show should have been the aftermath of the season finale. Yeah. They should, so, so, they yeah. should have, they should have, they should have constructed it in which in the first arc, like in the pilot episode, you have the initial conflict with the characters in the present. And then b- halfway through the first episode, you flash back to the island and everything that they went through to become. And so by the end of episode two, 
you are done with the island, and in episode three, you start, like, you have them back. And I mean, at, at the beginning of episode, or in the middle of episode one, or by the end of episode one, before the flashbacks kick in, you have the character in the coma. And the coma then tells the backstory on the island. And then in episode three, before the you start the second arc, you have what happens while in the coma. And then that is the rest of the, the aftermath is the rest of the series. Yeah. I mean, I also felt like they could have just did. He killed his own daughter. Well, that's, that's, you hadn't read the comic. So that, 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 that it, it should have been, if they wanted to have so much Josh Jumel out of bad wigs, they should have just started the show and made it in Jupiter's circle, which would have covered the island, some of the island stuff, which was not in the comic, and then covered them being superheroes in the 30s, the 40s, the 50s, and so forth, up till the understand. breakup. Break I don't understand why you have to have a, just because you're old, you have to have a bad wig. Well, I, I know that was, to me, that would have been the way to get around the bad wigs. But um, anyway, I, I do, and I do like your, your idea of just getting around just just getting around just just cutting out a lot of the fat but anyway i digress sorry again jupiter's legacy is uh my uh what just happened that's cold captain cold the cutthroat character of the season mel we make the rules up as go along i have a tie um and they both come from amazon shows the first one is homelander from the boys now, as we know from the first season, he's pretty cold-blooded. But in season two, abandoning all the people on the plane, threatening to expose Maeve and Elena's relationship, manipulating his own child, the death of the mother. Oh, my goodness. Just when you think he can't get worse, he does. And he's still going to because the show's coming back for season three. And then uh, my other character is Omni-Man. Y'all, those those Viltrumites. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this guy will kill anybody and everybody, including his own son that he tried to kill. It wasn't quite successful, but uh, yeah. And and he calls his wife a pet. I would just like to point that out. Okay, Mo, who do you have? So I'm I'm going in a more cutthroat, cold in a sort of com- comedic way. I'm going with uh, the alien version of Dr. H- Harry Vandespiegel from Sci-Fi's Resident Alien, portrayed by Alan Tudyk. If you don't know the backstory on Resident Alien, it is an alien who crash lands on Earth. He is sent on a secret mission to actually learn what he can about Earth culture and then blow up the Earth. What he, what he does when he first gets to Earth is... He goes to this doctor, Harry Vandespiegel's house, his cabin, and he promptly murders the guy, throws his body into the lake, and then assumes his identity. Next, he starts uh, pretending to be the town doctor, but there's only one person in the town who can see through his through his alien disguise, his human disguise, and that's the mayor's precocious child. And the alien, Dr. Harry Vandespiegel, then sets out in a Looney Tunes style 
series of events trying to kill this child. He he spends a good portion of the season trying to kill this child. And then Harry Vanderspiegel's wife shows up and then he starts using her for sex. And he he just and then just subsequently just like throws her away, just not like kill her or anything, but just gets rid of her. Um and the seat in the end of the season culminates with you know uh Harry Vanderspiegel, you know, he's just torn about his his mission to destroy the earth, but he ends up kill, killing all these government operatives who are trying to capture him. Uh, Alan Tudyk does a really good job of this mix of portraying the comedic, but also when he needs to be cold, he's very cutthroat. Okay, Dan? Uh, for me, it is a character that this year they sort of fixed. Uh, I'm picking painkiller on black lightning uh i i didn't really like the original um sort of painkiller arc with khalil painkiller that whole thing the first go around but this season in particular i feel like they sort of figured it out with this whole um sort of just the balance between khalil and painkiller and instead of painkiller being this thing that is sort of controlling Khalil and making him do all of these bad things. They are two different people within one body. And by doing that and having them work cooperatively, they are they more effective in the field. He can call on painkiller to really win a fight. Um, and as a result, there were a ton of like really, really good fight scenes, a lot of cool uh, uses of his poisons. I I thought he was doing a lot of – they did a great job with that, um, but some of the fight moves, some of the uses of the poisons got pretty cool. Uh, one in particular, that, um, that accountant that was doing all of um, – all, all the money and – sort of figuring out, okay, where's Tobias getting his money from, you know, where is it being wired to all of that sort of stuff? How is he framing the pierces? Uh, yeah, that guy was just poisoned. And then he promised him he'd give him the antidote and then he just walked away. I'm like, Oh wow, this guy, uh, I, I really enjoyed it. I thought he was pretty cold. I, I would have loved to see more had black lightning, uh, continued its run. Uh, and, you know, obviously with a possible painkiller show that they didn't end up moving forward with. But, you know, it is what it is. The, this season in particular, painkiller was good. And I thought he was pretty cold. My pick for cutthroat character of the season is Mother from Raised by Wolves on HBO. I think she was the um, my villain of the year at the end at the best and worst of the year podcast, but I chose someone else for my villain. So I'm putting her here. Maybe it was the fact that she is a synthetic. She is programmed, but she did not understand humanity. And even though she had a face that looked like humanity, she was not. And in interacting with those children, the, some of the things that she would do as she was trying to achieve humanity was she didn't understand it, but it just was, and I'm not explaining this well, the things that she would do were just cutthroat. She, with her 
with her original child, with what she did with the other children, what she did with her with father, um, and then like sort of abandon them, but then is also going to come back and wreak vengeance. It. She was a very complicated character in a very, I don't want to say monotone because that's not the, in a very singular depiction. And it worked really well. I, I know that some people didn't like Raised by Wolves, but I enjoyed it. And I think that part of it was because Mother was such an unexpected character and she was extremely ruthless. The Sansa Stark Award, otherwise best known as Best Character of the Season. Mo, who do you have? So I have, drum roll, Ryan Wilder, portrayed by uh, Javicia Leslie on Batwoman. I think uh, uh, Javicia Leslie came in and literally had to walk a tightrope. Ryan Wilder was an engaging character, an empathetic character from Jump. I think as she grew into the role of Batwoman, she became a much more interesting and an actual, I think, a better fit for the direction that the show was going into. And if anything, I think uh, a Batwoman that who really wanted to be a superhero. And I because I think that a lot of the time the Kate Kane version of Batwoman, it was just she didn't really want to be in the suit. And we kind of know a little bit why but again i I think ryan wilder the character of ryan wilder uh, reinvigorated my interest in batwoman i look forward to seeing uh the next season i also thought about adding a second surprise uh category which would have been most improved show no categories we had before Uh uh-uh no those are in the year-end podcast not the tv season podcast so there's a difference we didn't have them in the in the TV season one. Um, best character of the year, Dan. I'm picking Wanda Maximoff. I, you know, she might have been a villain in some sense of the word throughout the the year. Some but, sense quotes air quotes. Oh, <laughs> but man, did she make everything really interesting? I mean, I exploring her pain and the way she did it taking all an entire town hostage and then reliving all of these classic sitcoms and tv tropes and all of this sort of stuff and then finally it all culminates to this epic battle i just i i I think Elizabeth Olsen did one of the best performances of the year and she really nailed it in terms of setting up like with the character of Wanda moving forward, this is going to be on her. Like all of this sort of damage that she did is going to be on her moving forward. And we're going to have to process that anytime a situation comes up where people are like, Oh, Wanda, is she a hero? And well, I mean, yeah, I mean, you have to think about what happened during the beginning of civil war. You have to think about Wanda. Like this is a second sort of knock on her character within the universe at, in terms of her resume as a hero. And so seeing all of this gray area, I just, I, I loved it. I, I loved every second of it. And I think Wanda 
was the best character and most interesting person to watch this year. Mel, who do you have? Well, I originally had Wanda, but since Dan has summed it up so nicely, I'm going to go with my backup, um, and that is Miss Ahsoka Tano from The Mandalorian. Now, I know she was only on one episode, but man, did she make an impact in that one episode. I think uh, Rosario Dawson, who is portraying Ahsoka, did a fantastic job. She's an old sci-fi superhero veteran actor, so uh, I think that was awesome. And they did fantastic with her makeup and the costuming, and I loved all of her acting choices, you know, with the two lightsabers and everything, and, you know, she's a character full of wisdom, but it can also whoop your ass. So I, I love that part, too, and Ahsoka is is a Star Wars, you know, fan favorite character. So to finally see her in a live action setting and they did not disappoint was amazing. And to top it off, there's going to be an Ahsoka Tano standalone live action series. Rosaria Dawson will be back for that as well. So um, I think that if you can be on an episode, one episode of a hit show and they give you your own spinoff, that's pretty great. So um, I really enjoyed her. My pick for best character is Clark from The 100, played by Eliza Taylor. Over the years on this podcast, she ha- that character has received the Cutthroat Award because Clark would be willing to do anything as long as it saved whoever it was at that story point that was important to her. And she w- lived with those choices. The final season of The 100 was sort of a blend of her coming to terms with that like her having that catch up with her and while at the same time her having to make very similar decisions in the current storyline I thought that she did a really fantastic job Eliza Taylor deserves so many kudos for what she how she anchored that show and kept humanity in a show that was basically Hunger Games on roids in space and then on Earth, in a futuristic Earth. And it was really good. I enjoyed the final season, uh, which will come up in a later category. But I thought that as sort of a swung song, Clark and Eliza Taylor deserved best character of the season. The Night King cometh. Best villain. Mel. Um... I had to go with the villain that I love to hate the most, and that is Tobias Well from Black Lightning. Probably one of the very few shining moments of that final season was Tobias continuing to be himself, evil, dirty, underhanded, but so clever at the same time. Um, You know, in this season, he becomes the mayor, and he is infiltrating the Pierce family and Lynn's um, science, um, not category, but her science lab and, and, you know, always trying to kill Jefferson and always three steps ahead of everyone. And I feel like the actor always, you could tell he's having fun in the role. So I think that's another part of it. But, you know, in the end, Tobias finally did get his comeuppance, which kind of made me a little bit sad. But uh, he deserved every part that he got. Um, and this is the last time I can pick him for this one, so it had to go to Tobias. Mo? I'm going to go 
with uh, Omni-Man, voiced by J.K. Simmons from uh, Amazon Invincible. Uh, Again, we've talked about how brutal Omni-Man was, you know, again, starting with that pilot, how he would start killing off or intimidating people who got too close to his his secrets. He, um, I mean, it was just this interesting balancing act between here is the world's greatest superhero, quote unquote, but he truly does look at Earth and Earthlings as, you know, as Mel said, uh, just specifically about his wife, they look, he looks at us as pets. I mean, the Viltramites own Earth. He is there as the Viltramites um, um, sort of uh, liaison or, or what, what have you. Um, I think that uh, Omni-Man, again, he, he as, as, a great, as any great villain uh, will give you, he gives you this uh, empathy. You kind of understand why he's doing what he's doing. You understand that he does have a quasi, he has a weakness in the sun. He's trying to toughen up Mark, but at the same time, he will kill Mark if Mark gets in his way. I'm, I'm really looking forward to seeing um, what happens with Omni-Man in, in subsequent seasons. How far do they deviate from, from the comics and so forth? But yeah, J.K. Simmons does a really good job in this role. Dan? So I'm going to have to pivot a little bit just because Mel did a great job talking about Agatha Harkness earlier in um, in the best of the TV season uh, pod. So I'm instead going to go with Sophia uh, from Batwoman. I really, really enjoyed the whole island aspect. I, I loved the sort of relationship she had with Alice and Ocean. Um, and how she was, her whole goal was just protecting the desert rose and making sure that it stayed on the Island and that she stayed, she kept all of those people under her thumb. That was her main goal and anything else she was willing to do anything. She was willing to kill her brother. She was willing to manipulate Alice. She was willing to team up with black mask. Whatever it took, she was willing to do it. I thought she was a fantastic villain. Um, I was hoping that they'd keep her around, but no dice. She met her end. Uh, But for what it's worth, she did a fantastic job. My best villain of the season is Kreese from Cobra Kai. Uh, This is a character that we have watched since the original movies when I was a child. And in season two, he infiltrated Cobra Kai and in season three, he took it over and or took a version of it over that we ended up with three different dojos instead of two. But for me, this is an, a character that I have so much history with just because I remember as a child watching the original Karate Kid movies and how villainous and evil he was back then. And then you see what he's doing to kids in the present and you're just like, oh, God, this is a terrible, like, he's a terrible villain. It's almost like a villain you love to hate because he's been around so long. But what the, the mind stuff that he was playing with those kids and even the adults was pretty good. And then they, then I was like, then they tried to sort of humanize him. And I'm like, 
maybe they have to do this to try and like keep him around long term. But when we're having the Vietnam episodes that are showing his history, I was like, wait, he's been this really villainous character since he's returned. And now we're trying to like give him a backstory that makes me feel empathy for him. I'm not sure that I bought it, but I was like, we'll see where this goes because who is the villain after crease? I mean, if they try and humanize him a bit more, we'll see if it happens. We shall see. That wraps part one of the best and worst of the 2020-2021 TV season episode. Um, Definitely tune in for our next one, which will have part two, which will include our categories like best new show, best show, worst show. And as teased earlier at the beginning of the episode, my surprise category, the most disappointing show. So until next time, we thank you for listening. So long. See ya. Bye, everybody. Bye, y'all.